0: Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a Primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message.
1: Welcome, Kindred, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. I'm Joe Nettles, and also on behalf of Elder David Wise, I welcome you. We thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and avail yourself of the resources there, archived messages, frequently asked questions. If you have wonderings about what a primitive Baptist is, That's a good place to start. We also invite you to come uh, meet with our respective churches. We meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. And we also, Macedonia Church and Sulphur Springs Church, we meet together every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m., at the, on the grounds of New Covenant Church, located at 200 West Garrett Road, that's G A R R A R D Road in Starkville, Mississippi. We meet at 6 p.m. We have an abbreviated song, service, and message, and then we break bread together and fellowship. So we heartily invite you to meet us at that meeting and worship the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Today we have a message regarding seeing God. And after today's hymn, we'll be right back with the message. No. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast, and I'm turning my Bible to First John chapter four, verse twelve. This is the King James translation, and today we would like to consider seeing God. First John four twelve reads, "No man hath seen God at any time." Now I'll stop there and say that we see that throughout the Word of God, we see. Uh, Old Testament saints absolutely stricken with fear at the thought of seeing God face to face, for they knew that they were unworthy and they uh, felt an overwhelming sense that they would be consumed. And according to the word of God, the glory of God would consume us. That's why Jesus Christ, when he takes his elect home to glory, will conform them to his own precious image, his own likeness, his own glory will be Not only imputed to them, but they will also be covered up in it. Otherwise, we would be like the rest of this universe, just consumed and melt with fervent heat. But here he says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, when we talk about seeing God, whenever we think of seeing something we think of seeing it with our natural eyes and we're seeing a natural entity something that is visible something that we sense with our natural senses but god is not material see we live in a material world but god isn't material he is spirit jesus christ declared in john chapter 4 verse 24 to the samaritan woman at the well god is a spirit now notice he didn't say god is spirit Some people think that anything spiritual or anything supernatural is God. No, many things that are supernatural are of Satan, uh, or they are just imaginations and imaginings. There are wicked spirits, spirits of Antichrist in this world. He didn't say God is just the general idea of spirit. He said God is a spirit. He is the great spirit. He is the eternal self-existent one. So anyway, back to the verse, he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But yet we often see in the word of God where men see things about God or God is described unto men in ways in which he has arms, mouth, heart, things of that nature. So how are we to reconcile that with the word of God? Well, we must understand that the biblical writers inspired by the spirit of God describes God unto us in anthropomorphic language or zoomorphic language. Now, what does that mean? Anthropomorphic means taking that which is immaterial and not mankind and ascribing to him attributes of mankind. Zoomorphic means taking spirit and ascribing to it and describing it with attributes of animal life. Uh, We see this throughout the word of God. In descriptions of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16 says, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. I just can't pass over that verse without rejoicing that the power of salvation, all the impetus, all the volition, all the power, all the working in salvation, and God bringing his people unto him was of his own arm. Now, back to the context, God is spirit. God does not have arms. He is spirit. Spirit is immaterial. Arms are material. But yet, God describes himself and his working to us. And here, this arm expresses his powerful working. He uses anthropomorphic language. We see this again in Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord, the eye, of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Obviously here this eye is describing his omniscience, that he's able to see and know everything. But yet God being immaterial, God being spirit, he has no eyes, as we do. Psalm thirty three eleven The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. And of course, when the heart is spoken of in the Word of God, it basically is referring to the inner part of the torso or the inner part of the center of man, uh, that seat of emotions, that place where you feel stirred and pricked in your heart, not necessarily the blood pumping organ. But regardless, heart is material. God is spirit. He's immaterial. But yet, He describes his intimate affection for his elect family by saying that he has a heart for them. I rejoice in that. Talking about zoomorphic language, an example of that is in Psalm 63, verse 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings. Well, I rejoice. Here it describes God as having wings. Well, obviously what is being described here is the protective nature of God his protective providence and his working and his keeping of his people. Like a a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. Here we see God is protecting his people under the shadow of his wings. So yet we see through zoomorphic and anthropomorphic language, you know, we have some descriptions of God, but still didn't change the fact that no man hath seen God at any time because God is spirit. However, God did become material flesh and dwelt among men in the person of Jesus Christ during his life. We see Brother John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He begins this most crucial epistle by declaring that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Here John is addressing heresies that were abounding during that time where people said that Jesus Christ was not really a man, that if he was God, all material being evil, there's no way he could have been material. He must have been spirit and just upon himself the form of a man. And this is heresy. This is contrary to the word of God. Luke chapter 24, verses 38 through 43. Here Jesus addresses his disciples and he said unto them, why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Here God of glory manifested himself, took upon himself a veil of flesh. He walked as a man upon the earth. It is I myself. Handle me and see, he said, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, uh, He said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Not only does spirit not have hands and feet and blood and bone, but yet a spirit also doesn't eat material food. But here we see God was manifest in the flesh. Brother Paul in Hebrews chapter 1 called Jesus Christ uh, the express image of the person of God. So when you saw Jesus Christ, you saw the God-man. Now, that is a great mystery, and multiple sermons can be preached on that, and it would never exhaust the wonderful subject. However, let's stay on track here. But yet it says in our text, he says, no man hath seen God at any time. And then it's conspicuous in the same verse. He says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. In other words, he's saying that you're a God-being, that God has uh, born you of his spirit. First John chapter 3, verse 9 speaks of it as his seed that remaineth in the child of God. When he's born again of the spirit of God, God dwelleth in him intricately and intimately part of his being from then on, and his love is perfected in us. So not only are you experiencing God, not only are you dwelling with God, But you are having a more perfect, mature experience of the love of God if we love one another. So let's consider very quickly how we can see God today in a way in which wouldn't consume us with his all-consuming glory. And uh, even though we haven't gone to heaven yet where we will see God, uh, I'm not sure how. I'm not sure what he'll look like. Certainly not. I'm not worthy to be able to describe such wonderful things. I wouldn't know them because I'm in a mortal frame. But yet we will see God one day. But how can we see him today? Well, friends, as God manifested himself to men in the person of Jesus Christ, the material man, Jesus Christ, I rejoice that he is still revealing himself in vessels of flesh through love today. Now, I'm not saying that when someone loves, that they are God. But I am saying that when someone has true love, according to the word of God that they are manifesting that God dwells in them. No, I am not the God man as Jesus Christ was, but I am a man in whom God dwells because he chose to make me his habitation, his son, his child, and he inhabited my being. So therefore, when I show forth love, I am revealing and showing forth God and the most wonderful attributes. Now, Uh, we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That means it has a source. Love has a source, and it is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God. So truly, when you love according to the love under consideration here, it proves you've already been born of God and knoweth God. Now, somebody may say, but this world just abounds in love. Oh no, it doesn't, my friends. Love is not natural to this world in which we live, it is not natural to fall in mankind. As our bodies are broken, corrupted images that were created after the image of God before the fall, even so, lust, which abounds in mankind today and throughout all ages, is the corrupt, abominable facsimile, and a poor one at that, for love. Practically all notions of love we see portrayed today in modern society are really no more than basic lust, and it's a sad, sad thing. You want to know what love is? One of the attributes of love, and this really rubs people the wrong way, is in First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, we read about charity, or charity meaning agape love. It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You see... Uh, True love doesn't rejoice in evil. True love doesn't rejoice in lies. True love rejoices in truth and in righteousness. Now, very practical uh, application to this in our day and age which we live. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ... Somebody comes to you and say, Oh, I have no guilt over divorcing my former wife because my mistress at that time, I loved her. And I left my wife for the love of my life. Well, that is a so-called love that rejoices in iniquity and is contrary to the truth of God's word. Therefore, it is not true love. Or somebody may say, You need to accept all same-sex couples That is just abounding around us. Sodomy is abounding around us today. Homosexuality just being pushed down our throats in every venue. And they say, you must accept this out of love. No, my friends, it is not in truth. It is in iniquity. And uh, homosexuality rejoices in lies, not in the truth. So therefore, it is not true love. But if you accept those things unrighteous divorce and unrighteous sexual aberrations and abominations, then my friends, you're dwelling in lust, not love. All right, so let's see some ways quickly in which we can see the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the person of God through love. First, let's look at how we can see the righteous goodness of God. I want to see God more and I want to see his righteous goodness. Well, Jesus spoke in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. He said, uh, the question was asked him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, what are the commandments under consideration of the law? It's the righteous goodness of God given to us in a codified way. It is the righteous morality and uprightness of God expressed through the commandments he gave unto Israel. But Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. My friends, do you want to see the law of God at its epitome? Do you want to see the righteous goodness of God in its sweetest sense? Then you see it in that you love the Lord God and you love his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, you love your neighbor in that same way. Oh, what wonderful uh, semblances, what wonderful manifestation of the righteous goodness of God we see when someone just tenderly, graciously loves someone else. Even if they have to be direct with them, even if they have to give them rebuke, but yet they can show they love them enough to do that, you're seeing the righteous goodness of God. I want to see more of God. In Romans 13, 10, it says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you see love, true love, my friends, you're seeing the righteous goodness of God. I also want to see the sacrificial spirit of my God. Notice John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, speaks of the sacrificial manner of the nature of God. John 15, 12 through 14, Jesus speaks, says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever, I command you. Oh, my friends, let me tell you something. When we love one another, when we love uh, other people, And love means you're willing to do for them. If it was necessary, you need to lay down your life for your friends. Now, certainly we can't do it to the extent that Jesus Christ did, but that can be our most righteous, holy, virtuous goal. Amen. Notice in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now, if you're going to emulate your father, God, and show forth yourself as dear children, he says, and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling saver. If he gave himself past tense for his people and he was accepted of God, then, my friends, that is a done deal. And that is showing forth a sacrificial spirit of God. And when we love other people, when we're willing to give of ourselves, of our time, of our prayers, of our money, things of that nature, for the help of other people, without looking for claims, pat on the backs, and a a picture on the front of the newspaper, then my friends, we're showing forth, you're able to see God in that. What about the kindness of God? We all want to see the kindness of God. Luke chapter 6, verses 35 through 36, the commands of Christ, but love ye your enemies, And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father. You see, friends, we can't look on the Lamb's book of life. We can't see who are the elect of God. And, friends, even if we could, we would still be under the obligation given us by God. To love our enemies, to love those who despitefully use us and abuse us, and be kind to them in spite of their uh, vitriol or even apathy, we show forth the kindness of God in loving one another. What about the giving nature of God? In Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses seven through nine. Here, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, encouraging them to make up the uh, vowed uh, beneficence that they had uh, dedicated to those uh, in Jerusalem that were in dearth. He says, uh, showing that therefore as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment. But by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove, notice this, the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that he that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see, friends, when you lovingly give of your money, give of your belongings to other people, again you are uh, emulating Jesus Christ. You are seeing God in action. You are making yourself a little more poor in earthly belongings, but yet at the same time you are abounding in greater wealth in seeing God and fellowshipping with God. Oh yes, when we love one another, we see the giving nature of God. What about the interpersonal nature of God? Interpersonal means you just like to be with folks, and I just I can't understand how the God of glory, the sovereign God of the universe had a desire to divest himself of his love uh, by creating mankind. Even knowing, uh, being able to foreknow the fall that would take place. Why did he create mankind? He did it because he's an interpersonal being himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And therefore, God craves to be with his people. Isn't that astounding? Isn't it astounding that he's not just a high, aloof, distant, separate God who's just observing us objectively, but that he longs to dwell with us. That's why he sent his only begotten son into this world to bleed and die for his elect, that they would dwell with God. And we see the interpersonal nature of God when we love, when we see love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, But as touching brotherly love... That love of the brethren together, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. Here he said, God who dwells in you is the one who taught you how to love. And when you work that love out and when you share that love for the brethren, you are showing forth that as you are lovers of good men, as was told Titus by the apostle Paul, that should be an attribute of a ministering servant. As you are lovers of good men, you're showing forth the interpersonal love and affection that God has for his people. That's why he said in Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, and he's cleansed it with his blood and his righteousness, and he uh, desires to dwell with us. Oh, one day he's going to bring us to glory. But while we dwell here, friends, we can dwell more closely with the Lord through love. I love how the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and told them uh, their hearts might be comforted being knit together. In love. I want to see God more. Amen. Well, then I need to love more and appreciate love more. And we close, my friends, with these words. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Do you want to see the life-giving power of God? Oh, Peter, James, and John were humbled and rejoiced to see Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, high and lifted up and glistering in his lesser glory, but yet it was glory all the same. But friends, do you want to see that? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see the life-giving power of God? Well, notice Peter's words, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Who by him, talking about Jesus, that you by Jesus do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing that ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God under consideration there, my friends, is not the preaching of the word of God. It is the commandment of God to your soul and spirit, making you alive from the dead. Uh, It's called the effectual call. And here he's saying that it is the very power that rose Jesus from the dead and gave him life. And friends, it's what raised us from the deadness of our dead alien nature in which we were born in this world in, Uh, contrary to God, not desirous of God, not seeing ourselves as the sinners that we are, uh, yet God chose by his spirit to lift us up from that deadness and give us spiritual life, causing us to be born again by that incorruptible seed of God that dwells in us. And friends, I'm here to tell you, when you love with an unfeigned love, that means not a fake love, a genuine love, and you love the brethren, and you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, oh, friends, you are seeing no greater semblance of the life-giving power of God that you can experience down here on this world. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you love the Lord Jesus today, then love other people. Receive and accept that love from them. Love according to truth. Don't rejoice in iniquity. Discipline yourself. Focus yourself in love to the honor and the glory of God. And I'll tell you more and more clearly every day until he brings us home, we will see God. Until we're able to meet with you again and speak about these most wonderful subjects, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all.
0: If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under Podcasts with the title The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 And tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.